Thank you. That's very warm. Thank you very much. And it's nice to be with you. We're going to uh, pick up our Restored series and look at a, a subject this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19, if you've got a Bible. We're going to be looking at a subject that is kind of difficult, which we have to come to terms with if we're going to find freedom in Christ and live a free life as God wants us to. And that is the subject of how we handle our emotions. How we handle our emotions. It's, Christian life is not just about the things that we think. A lot of it is about the way that we handle the way we feel. And we need to learn to do that well because emotions are part of our lives. And the beautiful thing about Christianity is that, of course, we have God who has become fully human in the Lord Jesus. So we're not dealing with a God who doesn't quite know what it's like to be overcome with emotion. We're dealing with a God who has experienced the fullness of what it is to be a person, to experience the whole range of human feelings and emotions and ups and downs like you do, a God who has known what it's like to have hormones. We, we, that's our God. He's become flesh in Jesus. That's what we're going to start celebrating in the lead up to Christmas. God's become a person. And that means we have a lot that we can learn from Jesus about how to handle emotions well. And in the story we're going to read in Luke 19, the funny thing is it's not about emotions at all. The word isn't even used. But as you see these three stories on the bounce, you'll see Jesus experiencing and celebrating or using a different emotion in each one. And it's striking how varied his emotional life is, even just in these few verses. We're going to begin reading at verse 36. So Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they'd seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade round you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you didn't know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they didn't find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is the word of God. Emotions are a gift from God. Emotions are a gift from God. They deepen our experience and our relationships. And they show us when something's wrong. And they're actually essential to a flourishing human life. If you don't have emotions, you're a psychopath. Right? That's, we need emotions to be able to feel, to be able to live a functioning human life. And in this little passage, it won't, you don't even need me to highlight which they were. Jesus experiences three of the big ones in a row. And if, the first story is all about happiness and then the second story is about sadness so great that it makes him weep in the street. And then there's a story that's all about anger as he drives the people out of the temple. 
And if you read on in Luke's gospel, you'll find he doesn't just experience the big three, happiness, sadness, anger. He experiences all kinds of others. Right? You read on in Luke and you'll find him experiencing admiration, anticipation, astonishment, anguish. Those are just the ones I could think of beginning with A. Right? This, you might have seen this before. This is called Plutchik's Wheel. Many of us won't have seen it. It's a way of sort of triaging and categorizing the different sorts of emotions we feel. And the intense version of the emotion is near the middle of the flower, you see. And then as you move out, you see milder versions. And so they would say like serenity, joy, trust, admiration, terror, loathing, rage, anger, disgust, sadness, surprise, loads and loads of emotions, right? If I read through Luke's gospel from beginning to end, I can see stories in which Jesus experiences almost every one of those emotions. Right? In, a, in a chapter or two's time after what we've just read, you'll see Jesus experiencing such anguish and horror that he's sweating drops of blood as he prays about the cross. Right? Gee, the, the emotional life of Jesus is incredibly rich, which is to say he is not the stoical, aloof weirdo that you would think he was from looking at Christian art where Jesus is repeatedly arms out like this, eyes up like that, and just leaning head to the side, you think, that's not the man we've just read about. He's a man who lives with an intense experience of being alive and being emotionally invested in things. And I find that hugely encouraging. Because it shows me that emotions are in themselves not bad, they're actually good. And it's possible to experience and live a full emotional life while at the same time never sinning. That's what Jesus does, right? Lives a fully emotional life and he never sins. The first one of these stories is all about happiness, right? Jesus is happy. And we, this is just one story, but you see it all over the Gospels. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. He's fulfilling the promise that Zechariah had made five centuries before. And then we read verse 37. And the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. This is a noisy scene, right? They're shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. They are singing and celebrating and shouting. They are doing the first century equivalent of my sons on their way to an Eastbourne Town football match. As they walk along the street, Forza Eastbourne, ole, 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 ooh, ole, ole. They're doing, this is the first, in the, in the original Greek, that's what it says, right? Forza, Jesus, Hosanna in the highest, or whatever it might be. This is like a noise. This is not like, who's out there in the high? It's not like a sort of floral church arrangement. This is a noisy scene of celebration. And it worries the Pharisees because they know that the Romans are not going to like it if the Jewish people, who are being colonized at the time, right? Effectively, they've been invaded. And if the Jewish people start singing songs about how a new king is in town, the Romans will not like it. So they say, teacher, tell him to shut up. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they were quiet, the stones would start singing. Do you see, he's, he's saying, I'm not going to suppress happiness. I'm going to make it worse. Believe me, the day is coming when the trees of the field will clap their hands and the, and the, and the fields will sing for joy. And you're not going to be able to put it, put it, make it quiet at all. So believe you me, it will get worse if I tell all of these people to stop singing because then the city itself will start to hum and then to burst forth in praise because their Redeemer has come to the earth to rescue them. So Jesus is, lives, lives a, if you like, a life in which he's repeatedly not just not suppressing happiness, but actually turbocharging it. And there are certain things you can do where you try and suppress people's noise that actually make it worse. You know that you try and stop people being noisy and it turns out to fuel it. With my parents, it was just the simple noise, shh. 
Right, that would work like that. For no, like, no, you wouldn't believe. It was so effective at making us as children noisier. They used to get the cheap ferry crossing was always at six in the morning from Dover. So my parents would want us to go on holiday. We'd have to get the six o'clock ferry crossing, which means leaving the house at four. So at four o'clock, me and my three young brothers and sisters, who are not that much quieter than I am, are all spilling out into the street. And we're noisy and excited about a holiday. And my parents, it's such a bad word, isn't it? Shh. It's... It's such a stupid sound because it's noisier than the noise it's trying to silence, almost always. So they start going, shh. And then that makes us as children go, shh. As we're walking out into the street thinking it's hilarious. I still find it funny now. I'm 41. But we're making so much noise. And actually, they are effectively saying to Jesus, tell them to shush. He said, oh, no, it doesn't work like that. You shush them, the noise will get worse. I am here to, this is, this is the city of God rejoicing about the arrival of its king. You are not going to be able to make anybody be silent here. Even, even in fact, in the moment in Jesus' life where it's the saddest thing he ever does, in many ways it's the saddest thing anyone has ever done to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Even then, the book of Hebrews tells us he did it for the joy set before him. Right? Jesus is a happy person. So he experiences these emotions And yet, no sooner have we read that than verse 41, the camera suddenly pans in from this noisy celebration into Jesus' own face. And it says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He experienced the delight of riding into his God city at the same time as the tragic recognition that because he was arriving and because the people of Jerusalem were going to reject his message and kill him, that 40 years later, the Romans were going to come to their city and trash it and destroy the temple. And they did. And the temple still hasn't been rebuilt to this day. And Jesus knew that. And so he's in tears, wailing and lamenting. You know, our emotional lives can be complex. You can experience great happiness sometimes and great sadness about different things at the same time. As we were just driving him, my wife Rachel's with us this morning and it's been great just traveling around with her. And she just said to me this morning, she said, told, reminded me of a story of our friend Femi, who had experienced that the, he thought one of his children was about to die in a hospital on one floor of the hospital, and his wife is giving birth on another floor of the same hospital. So he's got, and I'd forgotten about it, and I was like, that is, that's what being human can be sometimes. You've got such intense, and his older son survived at the time. He's since died, tragically, but he's very disabled, and he's living with this horrible disjunction of, pain at the same time is the most joyful thing that can ever happen to a person and he's living with them both on the same day and Rachel was just saying to me but that's just like a parable of the whole of the human life is that we are always in between birth and death aren't we we're always in between sadness and sorrow and Jesus lives it here he's seeing the celebration and he's infanning it into flame at the same time as he's in tears because he knows that the judgment of God is going to fall upon the city of God because they reject Jesus these are tears of sorrow he's crying here. These are the, this is the gut punch, the kind of crying that you do when some, someone really close to you is taken from you. He is grieved. He is lamenting. He is wailing. Friends, being sad is not ungodly. Right? This is, not, this is sinless Jesus, right? This is God in flesh. Being sad is not ungodly. Right? You can handle it in an ungodly way sometimes, but this is the way in which humans are supposed to respond to great pain. The Bible is full of grief, lament. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, right? There's lots and lots. The longest book in the Bible is filled with songs of sadness, the book of Psalms. Sorrow is not ungodly. Sadness is not ungodly. You don't have to try and make yourself happy to be a godly person. 
Jesus probably cried more than any British man I know. Yeah? I mean, British people, we don't do that. We, not in public, anyway. We might cry in private. Most of us don't express sadness in public. It's just not part of our culture. But that can be profoundly unhealthy because the Bible is full of heartbreak and lament and wailing far more than we would probably many of us feel comfortable with. Sadness is not ungodly. I actually find it quite liberating because I'm a bit of a crier. So I just, you know, I like the fact that the Bible says it's okay for me to cry in public. Um, I've been having this ongoing joke with Rachel again because we were flying back um, recently from somewhere and I was watching the movie Dunkirk on the back of the screen. I didn't think I was going to cry. But I've actually read an article since about why people cry on aeroplanes. There's quite some interesting science behind it, apparently. Anyway, I, thought it, I felt validated, but I cry a lot on a plane. And the worst thing about a plane is, of course, if you're stuck next to someone who's crying, there's nowhere to hide. Like, you can't do anything. And I'm just watching it. And I thought it was fine. It was just, I thought it was going to be a battle film. No need to cry here. But then at the end, one of the characters just reads Churchill's We Shall Fight Them on the Beaches speech. And I just disintegrated. It was awful. I was just, <laughs> it was properly like this. And Rachel is sitting next to me, just looking across and saying, please, please shut up. This is so excruciatingly embarrassing. And I turned when I'd recovered myself, and I turned to her and said, honestly, honey, there are women in this country who would like their men to express emotion a little bit more. And she said, and I quote, trust me, none of them want it that much. <laughs> and I just thought, yeah, this is... Yeah, I feel validated by the fact that being sad, so I'm actually partly preaching to her, like being sad is not ungodly. But yeah, Jesus is, Jesus is properly expressing emotion. Having just seen the happy rejoicing, he goes into sad, deep sadness. And then in the third story, he changes yet again and expresses what we could only describe as proper anger. Right? Do you notice in verse 45? And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold. This is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you made it a den of robbers. Get out of here. Now, he doesn't actually use the word anger in the text, to be fair, but we know he was angry, right? It's clear he was. The word drive out there, that verb, is the verb that Luke uses elsewhere to describe throwing grain overboard to save a sinking ship. And in John's version of the story, we hear that Jesus made a whip out of cords poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. You don't do that unless you are seriously cheesed off, I suggest. Right? And you know the point I'm going to make, but here it comes anyway. Being angry is not ungodly. You can handle anger in a godly or an ungodly way. Being angry is not ungodly. We're supposed to be angry about some things. There's a lot of things in this world to be sad about. There's a lot of things in this world to be happy about. But there's a lot of things in this world to be angry about. And we're supposed to be angry about idolatry. We're supposed to be angry about abortion and racism and youth violence and corruption and oppression and injustice and all kinds of other things. And you can handle that anger in a godly or an ungodly way. But the emotion is not sinful. Anger is precious. If you don't have any anger about anything, you can become passive and inert and just not do anything. You don't realize how much needs to change or whatever it may be. Anger is not ungodly. So emotions are not ungodly. When, when people say so-and-so's responded emotionally, I know what they mean, but actually that's not the best way of describing what's wrong. Responding emotionally is not bad at all. The problem is when the emotion leads you to respond unwisely. Right? It's bad to respond unwisely, but you can respond unwisely either for being too emotional or not being emotional enough. The issue is not, oh, I responded out of emotion. Of course you did. You're a human being. The question is, did you handle the emotion wisely when you did? And that is something we need to think through. Let's be honest. It's easy to respond unwisely when we are emotionally 
hyped up, isn't it, in any form of emotion. You can respond with a lack of wisdom in all kinds of ways because of your emotions and any sample. You just go on anti-social media and you'll see it all the time. People responding unwisely because of their emotion. But that, what Jesus shows us in this story is that you can express intense emotion in a very godly way. Right? Jesus felt anger in that story we've just read. But he didn't express the anger by getting in a fist fight or starting a terrorist cell to kill the people who were doing it. Which is not a hypothetical because that's what the zealots were doing in Jesus' day. That's what Simon the Zealot probably was. So that kind of thing, Jesus said, no, I'm not going to respond to anger that way, but I am going to respond to my anger by confronting the injustice in word and deed. I'm going to handle the emotion well. Right? He felt sadness over the impending destruction of Jerusalem, and he handled it by weeping and grieving in public. But he didn't handle it by giving up, going back to Galilee and announcing it was all hopeless. Do you see, there's, a, there's an ungodly way to respond to sadness, isn't there? Which is total despair. But there's a godly way, which is lament and grief and sorrow and crying in the street. Actually, even happiness. Some of us think of happiness as just a good thing. Who wouldn't want to be happy all the time? But actually, even with happiness, we have to be careful to manage our emotion. I'm, I would say I'm quite a sort of Tigger rather than Eeyore sort of, sort of personality. So I probably ex want to express happiness a lot. But you actually have to be careful with it because even if you're feeling happy, that's great, but you can express it in ways that can be very unhelpful for other people if you're not careful. You can be very naive or very insensitive or just exhausting by expressing happiness in particular ways. So a lot of you nodding, a lot of you looking at me and nodding and laughing, so thanks for that. I'm sure that that's true. But you see, you can express a, a very good emotion in an ungodly way if you're not careful. So emotions are gifts, but they're not gods. Really important. They are gifts. They are good things, but they're not in charge. They're servants who give us information we need, but they're not masters who get to tell us how to behave. And so what we have to do is have to learn how to handle them while recognizing that in themselves they are good. So how do you handle them? Well, there are people in this room who are much more qualified than me to teach on this. So let me just give something that's really basic and simple, and there will be many others who could add much more to it. But I think that at a very simple level, we need to identify, question, and then respond. Went to Identify, question, respond. That actually our first step is to identify what emotion we are feeling in the first place, which can be more difficult than it sounds. I have two autistic children, and for them, identifying emotions is more difficult than it is for me. But actually, many of us will find ourselves sometimes unable to articulate exactly what we feel and why. We will f Do you ever say something like, I don't know, I just feel really churned up? Do you ever say that? Sometimes that's what we say when we go, I don't quite know. Something weird is going on in my soul, and I'm not quite sure what it is. Right? Because it's not always easy to identify. And so think about it like this. Think of emotions like a letter that comes through your door. Your first step before you respond or get anywhere near responding to a letter is to identify what kind of a letter it is. So the other day I got home and I had two letters... One was from my bank, and the other was a mailing from the Brexit party. And it could have been from any political party, but I'm going to read those two mailings in very different ways. The bank statement, I'm going to accept it as true, and I'm going to act according to what it tells me to do. The political leaflet, I'm not necessarily going to accept as true, and I'm going to want to ask a whole load of other things before I decide what I'm going to do with it. 
And actually, that's because I've identified correctly what kind of letter it is before I respond. And the same's got to be true of our emotional life. What is going on in here? What, what, is, what is this emotion beginning to say? Now, as Christians, we have two secret weapons. We have the weapon of prayer and the weapon of the Psalms, and they're both really helpful on identifying what emotion we're feeling. Because prayer, I can say, Lord, I, I often do this. Lord, I don't know why, but I feel really screwed up inside, and I pray you'd even help me understand why and help me handle that well. Right? That's a good, and God will often reveal things even as you're doing that. You also have the weapon of the Psalms, which is such a wonderful gift because they're so emotionally diverse. Pretty much every emotion you ever feel is stated by somebody in the Psalms. And these deeply emotional poems can often put into words what you feel better than you can. So you're feeling, and then you read a psalm, and you go, that's it, that's what I feel, and I didn't realize I did until I read it. So those two are very powerful weapons for us in handling our emotions well and identifying what they are. So we start by identifying the emotion. Then we have to ask our emotions some questions. This is the basic premise of CBT, right? Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Much of it is basically about asking questions of your emotions, isn't it? Of asking back. We talked a bit about this a few weeks ago. Talking back to yourself. But again, imagine your emotion as a letter. You've now identified what it is and you've opened the letter. And the emotion is telling you lots of information. Having identified what it is, you're now going to start asking some questions of that letter, of that emotion. Right? So do I need to do exactly what this says? Is this information correct, or is it distorted, or is it exaggerated, or is it making things sound worse than they are? Am I seeing the whole picture? Do I need to ask somebody else's advice on this? So I've got an election flyer. I might be going, hmm, okay, well, that sounds quite one-sided. I wonder what somebody else might say about that. And is there some, right? That's all, you, we do that all the time with our mail. I'm saying we need to do that with our emotions as well. So we need to say, what is this information that my emotion is presenting to me? Is it correct? Is it exaggerated? X, oh, she always says that. This always happens. That never happens. Emotions do that all the time, don't they? They exaggerate things or they catastrophize things. They make, go quickly to the worst case scenario. I have to ask that question. Is that actually what's happened? Or am I just, my feelings making me think it has, but it's not real? Or assuming motives? Yeah, I, to be honest, I always knew Hillary really hated me, and that's the reason why she said that. They said, is that what's going on? And I have to ask that question and say, oh, hang on, I think the information my emotion is giving me might need to be interrogated a bit. I might need to do some questioning of it to ask if it's actually the case. And again, we've got the secret weapons of, the, of prayer and the Psalms to help us with questioning. In prayer, Lord, I'm feeling angry about what so-and-so said, but I really want you to help me work out whether or not some of the things they said are true and they're my fault. Some of the things they said are untrue and I just need to disregard them. Some of the things I need to challenge them and go back. Lord, help me ask the right questions of my feelings. And again, you'll find the Psalms are great help here because the Psalms do this all the time. Do you know Psalm 73? Asaph, I love Psalm 73. Asaph does this. He just goes on a long rant and the first two-thirds of the Psalm is him going, it's awful. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. The world is awful. And then after a long time of letting off steam about that, he goes, and I did think that. And then I went into the sanctuary of God and I began to see another perspective, which is, no, sometimes bad things don't happen to good people and good things don't happen to bad people and God is a just judge and sometimes you just have to let things play out a bit longer and you'll see the whole thing changes. And then I realized, 
Yes, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you see, you, you will find the Psalms help you question your emotions because your emotions are often telling you porcupines. And you have to go back to them and say, I don't think that's quite true. I'm going to ask some questions of what you're telling me. And having identified the emotion and questioned the emotion, we then respond by expressing the emotion in an appropriate, wise way. And you can, there's some really helpful little examples of this in Scripture. I love Ephesians 4.26 on anger. Really helpful. Right? Four steps to handling anger. One, be angry. Two, do not sin. Three, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Four, give no opportunity to the devil. Right? So if I want to handle anger wisely, what do I do? Well, one, feel it. Yeah? Be angry. That's okay. But secondly, right on the heels of it, don't sin. Because when you're angry, you'll want to sin. And so the first, you feel the rush running out within you. First thing you need to be thinking, don't sin. Because I will have all kinds of temptations to sin because of this emotion. And that way, it's a bit different from happiness, isn't it? Because most people don't immediately want to sin when they're happy. But people who are angry often do. So be angry. Don't sin. Third, don't let the sun go down in your anger. That is, don't let it fester and turn into something that eats away at your soul like an acid through bitterness. And then four, give no opportunity to the devil. Because you just know the moment you, you begin to get angry, the devil will be on you going, oh yes, lots of ways we can now cause destruction to this person and the people they love. Right? So there are lots of guidance. There's lots of guidance. You go, James 5, you get a similar thing with other emotions. Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Sing. Right? It's just good guidance about how to process emotions wisely. Responding wisely might mean not doing anything about the emotion for some time. Or it might mean what Jesus does here. Turning over the tables, crying in the street, and celebrating so loudly you stop the traffic. But emotions are not ungodly. Jesus experienced the full range of human emotions and he never sinned. Having said that, Having said all of that about the fact that emotions are gifts and good and many of them teach it, they all teach us something, all emotions are not equally permanent. Aren't you glad about that? There, is, there are some emotions, there's one in particular that's going to last much, much longer than all of the others. Right? There is a day when anger is going to hit the buffers, never to be seen again. There's a day when sorrow and sadness are going to flee away, never to come back. Because at the coming of the Son of Man, the sheep get told, enter into your master's joy. Right? Your God is happy, and you're going to get to live in that happiness forever and ever, and you never have to experience these other emotions. Right? When the prodigal son gets back, there is a party and a feast of joy with music and dancing. There is not a sort of people living in an eternal state of sorrow or even surprise. Imagine that, spending eternity going, gosh, again, you know, it's not like that. You're going to spend eternity experiencing some emotions, but not all of them. Jesus, for the joy set before him, scorned the cross and its shame. In the end, every tear gets wiped away. Jesus is not sobbing for eternity. He's not turning over the tables for eternity. But he is saying, if these were silent, the stones would cry out for eternity. Right? Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? Let's pray and let's ask God to help us handle our emotions, even as we celebrate now, but to handle our emotions wisely. Father, we do thank you for feelings. We thank you for the color and the richness that they bring to our lives and our relationships. But Lord, we acknowledge we need help in handling them wisely. I do. 
I've experienced all of the emotions I've just mentioned in the last 24 hours. I need your help. I need your spirit. I need your word. I need the, the character of Jesus to be more formed in me. And we do, Lord. We plead with you to help us handle our emotions with wisdom, not to serve them as if, as if we're their slaves, but also not to try and suppress them, just to handle with godliness and insight and wisdom these wonderful gifts you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that ultimately all is prayer and praise, all is joy. We pray that in the meantime you would help us live in anticipation of that day with wisdom in our emotional lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.